This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 105 of Go To Grandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth, your Go To Grandma, and this is the last show of season two, originally airing on Saturday, August the 12th, 2023. We are finishing off season two with some powerhouse women who possess unique communication and business skills. When Julie Cole co-founded Mabel's Labels 20 years ago in a basement in Burlington, she didn't know that it would grow to be a multi-million dollar subsidiary of label giant Avery. How did they do it? In large part, it was a network of moms who helped spread the word and the benefits of these unique labels. You might have heard the term mommy blogger, which appeared at about the same time. But do you know what they were and what they did and where they are today? And what's an influencer? And what's a grandfluencer? The world has changed, and Julie's going to take a look back and peer forward to see how social media is influencing the purchases moms and grandmas make. Around the same time that Julie was fending off cats from the label printing machine, Laura Berg was starting her family, and she started signing with her babies to great success. She founded My Smart Hands, which teaches caregivers how to sign with their hearing babies. Besides becoming a YouTube sensation and expert, Laura helped parents and grandparents to understand their not-yet-verbal babies, to communicate with them about play, food, and other infant needs. Laura is going to tell us about the benefits of signing and how it can easily be learned and used, even as your kids get older. And our Take 5 with RBC interview takes a look at equity in U.S. properties. A sign of the times, you might say. It's a packed show with our usual mix of fun and facts, so I can't wait to get started. I'm looking around for the universal sign for a coffee. Anyone know? I'll ask Laura. She's up first. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Laura Berg is the founder and president of My Smart Hands, a company that teaches caregivers how to sign with their hearing babies. Laura holds a master's in education, a degree in ASL and deaf studies, and is the author of The Baby Signing Bible, a book that teaches parents how to sign with their babies. Good morning, Laura. Thanks so much for being on GoToGrandma this morning. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very intrigued about this. I have three young grandchildren. One's only seven weeks, but the others are two and three and a half. Sign language for babies. When I mentioned I only have a seven-week-old, what age do we start sort of exploring the idea of sign language with little babies or grandbabies? Yeah, I get asked this all the time because people really aren't sure when to start. But I always say you can start whenever you feel ready. So the experts kind of say six months is a good time to start because babies will tend to pick it up faster between six and eight months. I started with both my kids when they were about four months old. My son started signing back at six months, so I'm glad I started early. But what can happen is if you start too early and you don't get them to sign to you, you just give up. Right, right. And if we're looking at sort of exploring sign language, what are some of the benefits we might see? So the main benefit is reduced frustration. So knowing what your baby wants, because it can show you through the use of sign language, makes your life so much easier and also makes their life easier. So babies are able to sign before they can talk because of the gross motor skills, the gesturing versus the fine motor skills of speaking. And so I always sort of share a story with my audience about how my aha moment with my daughter. She was 10 months old. She's eating Cheerios. In her high chair, she's throwing those Cheerios on the floor, and I'm thinking, okay, she must be finished. So, But she kept signing more, 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 
And I was like, well, you don't want more Cheerios. Clearly, what do you want? And she signed more cheese. So at 10 months, she put together a two-word sentence. And if I didn't have sign language with her, she would have, I would have assumed she was done. I would have put her down and she would have thrown a temper tantrum because she just wanted something salty versus something sweet. I always want more cheese. This is a good one to know. More cheese is good. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> um, so you've just touched on that. What are some of the simple words, obviously more, some of the simple words that you might start with? Well, milk is the best one, obviously, because their life is so dominated by milk in the early days. Mommy, daddy, just for the fun of it, more is a good thing. So understanding that more to babies is an abstract concept. Mm-hmm. Like, what is more? More usually means I want for babies. So keep that in the back of your mind. Eat is a good one. If they like food, uh, teaching them the sign for that food that they want because it's motivating because they'll be more likely to sign something that they want versus something that they don't want or they don't like. If you have any pets, you can teach them the sign for cat or dog or fish, whatever you have. Uh, My son loved um, books, so we taught him the sign for books. If your kid likes balls, you can teach them the sign for balls. It's really finding signs that motivate them. But I would recommend that you start just with a couple of signs because it makes it easier Mm -hmm. for you to remember to do them if you just pick a couple words. Is there a sign for grandma? (laughs) Yes, it's like mom, but it's you move your hand out one more time. Because we're better. Yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So if I want to start teaching my baby sign language, should I be concerned at all about delaying their speech because they rely more on the hand signals? That's a great question too. I think that a lot of people may have that fear or have maybe heard that a neighbor's niece's child's daughter (laughs) didn't Mm. start talking. But really, if you think about it, babies want to talk. Like they babble all the time, nonsense, blah, 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 blah. So it's not like they become lazy or dependent on signs. And it's not actually easier to sign when the words do start developing. But they do develop sooner, which is why signing is great. But I would tell people, if you think about it, if you have two babies... And both those babies don't talk until they're two, but you've signed with one. That child, when they do start talking, is going to have a much larger vocabulary because you've given them more words to use. They've used words. They've thought about things and been able to recall those words from their brain. And you've also talked to them in more complex language because you know that they understand what you're saying. That's very true. And it sounds actually on the one hand, kind of, it's a great simple way to get them to communicate. But on the other hand, sort of complex to learn and to do with them. Is it hard to teach a baby sign language? But is it hard to teach a grandparent how to sign at the same time? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, sign language, when you're talking about American sign language, the language itself is a very in-depth language to learn. But we're not teaching a full-blown language. We're just taking signs from that language. So it's the exact same way as teaching a baby to wave bye-bye. You just wave your hand. So with milk, you open and close your hand. So that's an easy thing to remember. Mm -hmm. And when you're introducing one sign or two signs at a time, it's really easy for you to um, build your own repertoire of signs and while you're teaching them. So it's, it's really quite easy. So it is built off of actual, the American Sign Language system. So the word for milk that we're teaching our babies is the word that someone who is hearing impaired would also use. Yeah. So in my company, we use American Sign Language signs. There are some companies that do use made-up signs because they feel that it's easier for the baby. But if somebody wants to start learning American Sign Language, they are already introduced to a few words and the alphabet and all of that stuff. So yeah, we use 
American Sign Language signs. So your kids are older now. Do they still use some sign language signs? <laughs> Do they know <laughs> sign language better than a, than a child who hadn't been taught that? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it, for me, it was really great when they became older and we were in the park and they would look at me and I would be able to sign to them, you know, if it was time to go or if they, I would ask them if they were hungry or what have you. I didn't have to get up and go to them and I didn't have to yell across the park to them. It was really great in water parks when it was really loud. Um, my husband and I even used to on planes, you know, I'd take my daughter to the bathroom and then I wouldn't want to have to walk back through the aisle and I would sign to him, like, come bring me a diaper or something. Oh, that's <laughs> so. so interesting. I never thought about it being that silent secret language sort of that you're using as well. Yeah, it's really fun. And then my daughter has taught her friends just a few signs so that when they go see concerts and stuff, they can easily just sort of um, communicate with each other without, oh. like, getting in each other's faces and yelling. Because, you know, with masks and mm-hmm. you don't want to necessarily get up in one another's faces now, uh, it became really handy for them. Oh, great point. Yeah, during the time when we were all wearing masks, or perhaps still still are, that's a great idea, actually, to have a few signals with no matter what age your kids or grandkids. Yeah, exactly. So you wrote the Baby Signing Bible. Where could we find that book, Laura? Uh, so you can find a link on my website if you just go to MySmartHands.com. Uh, you can also find it on Amazon or in most bit large uh, book retailers. And the best way, of course, to see what you're doing is to see you in action. We can go to your YouTube channel at at Our Berg Life. Um, and you're also, of course, on Instagram and Facebook at My Smart Hands or My Smart Hands Fan. Thank you so much for sharing this with us today. Laura, I think a lot of grandparents will take something away from this. No, thanks for having me. Julie Cole is a recovered lawyer, mom of six, and co-founder of Mabel's Labels. She's an award-winning entrepreneur, best-selling author, and a sought-after speaker and MC. When she's not juggling her busy family and professional life, Julie is an engaged community member serving on boards and volunteering. She is passionate about women's issues, mentoring young entrepreneurs, and social justice. Good morning, Julie Cole. Thanks for coming back on GoToGrandma. Thanks for having me. You were actually on the last episode of season two, so it's a good time to reflect back, back to a time 20 years ago when you launched Mabel's Labels. Now, it was an original product, but you had to get the word out. So today we're going to talk about what role mom bloggers had in getting that business started for you. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we just had our 20th anniversary. I cannot believe it. And, you know, some of our original customers, like yourself, Mm -hmm. now are grandparents and their kids, who are original customers, really, are are buying our labels for the next generation of of Mabel's Labels uh, fans. So we love this. Um, But yeah, the early days. So going back 20 years ago, of course, there was no social media. No. Right? So... That was a time where we we still recognized that word of mom was paramount. You know, mm-hmm. moms were talking about us at the daycare drop-off, at the park, in the school playgrounds, that sort of thing. So when social media did hit, we were very early adopters because we're like, whoa, hold on a second. The moms are owning this space. The moms are blogging. The moms have Facebook accounts. And this is a great vehicle for word of mom or word of mouth. So, yes, we were very early adopters. And, in fact, I think we were one of the first companies who started 
working with and reaching out to the quote-unquote mom bloggers. I think you were. And I think I was a part of a contest that you had, right, for mom bloggers and and myself and a couple of other people. We judged their entries. That was was 15 years ago at least. That is. And, you know, that was the thing in those early days of, like, blog her and mom 2.0 and Mm -hmm. all these early mom blogging conferences. And that's right. We would give a scholarship to a mom blogger so they would um, apply to Mabel labels they would write something and then we would have professional authors like yourself be the judges and then we would all go to the events and it was i mean it was a it was a beautiful time actually in history of that mom blogging community but of course um time time passes and people move on but i will say that it was it was very incredible at that time because what all we would do was we would research the mom blogger and we wouldn't just like reach out and be like hey uh dear mommy blogger right we want to do a contest we would be like hey miranda we see that your little jack is starting kindergarten like we would read their blogs we were really we were really authentic about it and i think that's what made us good at, at what we did and why it our product and our brand really resonated with these bloggers so we were able to penetrate their communities through doing giveaways and contesting. And it was it was a really fun time. And we went from that sort of long form, if I can call it that mommy blog entry, that post, sort of then Twitter took off and Facebook, as you've said, and those became sort of mini blogs in a sense, right? People really found their space there and pointed people towards their bigger That's blogs. Right. So it evolved that way, right? Yeah, that's right. And then, oh, yeah, I mean, to think where Twitter is now, just Mm -hmm. even the most recent weeks, compared to, like, there was a time we were very active on Twitter. And I don't know if you remember the old tweet-ups. Oh, of course. Tweetstock. The conference Tweetstock that you and I went to as well. I think That's we right. spoke on a panel together at a tweet stock, right? We did with Karen Shulman yes. Dupuis, who's actually on the first episode of season three no. of Go to Grant. Yes. I love her. The world connects. I love her and I love that she just got another beautiful grandbaby. I know, right? So, uh, she, so and she, uh, speaking of her having grandkids, of course, you might not know this, Julie, but I have three. I may not have mentioned it to you too many <laughs> times. I may have followed that little bit of news. And my daughter's, of course, as you're speaking, is the one ordering now labels for her kids, etc. So, we are becoming grandparents, and we are also creating a space in social media, Julie. We are called hashtag Grandfluencers. I love it. And how are you seeing that sort of evolve in your marketplace in terms of, are you seeing the grandmas make some space in that entrepreneurial world as well? You know what? Interestingly, grandparents have always played a role in our business because often um, it was the grandparents were like, oh man, if we only had this product when my kids were young, Right. Right. So they were the ones who, who saw the value because it was a product that was missing from the market when they were raising their kids. So they were often buying for their grandchildren and gifting, you know, for their children so that they would have the labels. But it is interesting now because grand um, the grandfluencers, I love that. I think you may have made that up, and I'm here for Maybe. it. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so here for it. Um, definitely have a role. And as you know, grandparents look a lot different right now. Like I even think about, you know, when my grandma passed away at 101 she had a facebook account you know like we are in this space grant and you know because you were um in the space and now it's evolved uh grandparents have evolved too they are on instagram now some are on tiktok and i know we're doing a, a partnership with the coastal grandmother and we have and grandmothers are looking like you know me and you you yeah, know absolutely. we are 
it's not how it used to be. And I think also grandparents are getting super woke and they want to stay connected to their grandkids. So they want to be in the spaces that their grandkids are so that they're relatable. And yeah, and I do see them um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, having that space online and they're working with brands and they're creating content and it's very clever and it comes from, you know, a seasoned perspective and yet fresh as well because they're staying relevant because that's what, that's what you, you have to do to be in this space, right? Absolutely. I I think it's been really remarkable and I think COVID played a part in that too because we saw a lot of parents Um, particularly mothers, picking up a side hustle during COVID. And we see that with grandparents as well. A lot are retiring and then being like, okay, now what? where do I want to flex? I'm still young. I've got energy. I've got some entrepreneurial ideas. I want to flex a bit of entrepreneurialism. And they're doing that in the social media space as well as influencers. So you mentor um, young entrepreneurs. How about mentoring some of us not so young entrepreneurs? Is that that something that you're interested in as well? I love that. But I actually feel like that is more like a peer-to-peer because, you know, we can mentor. Like, I think what I get out of parents who like our original customers who are now grandparents, they have so much to share as well. Mm -hmm. And I find that the attitude is not like, well, we always did it this way and our kids were fine. Like grandparents are really, you know, learning and they're trying their best to, to, to be relevant and to, and, and to learn that, you know, things have evolved and changed and they're, they're just not that whole, like, well, my kids turned out fine. You know, if you're saying that, then, you know, you probably didn't turn out fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, my kids turned out fine because we didn't lose very many things because we had Mabel's, you know, my son took a Mills Labels camp sticker every year for about 12 years. Um, He's 21 now, Julie. So that makes sense in the world. Um, So thank you so much for this. If we want to find out more about Mabel's Labels, of course, we go to Mabel'sLabels.com. If we want to find more about Julie Cole, whom I've just been speaking with, we can go to at Julie Cole on Twitter, at Julie Cole Inc. on Instagram, and Mabel's Labels is there too. Thank you so much for this, Julie. It's been fun looking back with you. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Alain Forget has been working for Royal Bank Financial Group for over 42 years with sales leadership roles in Canada, the Caribbean, and the U.S. He is passionate about helping Canadians purchase U.S. homes and works closely with consumers, real estate professionals, and partners to assist Canadian buyers in the U.S. Alain is a licensed real estate agent in Florida and has his NARCIPS designation as a certified international property specialist. Good morning, Alain Forger. Thanks so much for coming back on our Take 5 with RBC interview this week. I think you have some updates and considerations to share with our audience on U.S. home equity for Canadian owners of a U.S. property. Looking forward to you sharing that. Gabby, always, uh, you know, certainly I do and always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And as we know, currently Canadians who like spending their time in the U.S. face a double whammy. The Canadian dollar is declining as interest rates increase affecting mortgage payments. Doing a Canadian to U.S. conversion right now as the U.S. at around 37% premium is much higher than the Canadian, which means that the loanee isn't going nearly as far as Canadians would like. 
over the last year, the Canadian dollar has gradually weakened against the U.S. dollar, largely because of rising interest rates south of the border, as the U.S. Federal Reserve has been trying to combat inflation by increasing rates. Its currency has become even more attractive for to foreign investors. Canada's economy is, of course, we know is much smaller, so it's really dollar can keep up with the U.S. dollar gather strength. The unfortunate result for, you know, boomers or snowbirds with cross-border lifestyle who own a U.S. property, there are some potential silver lining, though, for to help until the economic factors sell it up. So how can Canadian U.S. property owners access this U.S. cash? Yes, with, of course, such economic uncertainty, uh, Kathy, it's more important than ever to be strategic about your cash sources. If you own property in the U.S., you likely have several financial obligations that must be handled in U.S. dollars. So if you already own a home in the U.S., especially in the Keystone Belt states like Florida, Arizona, California, you might have more equity than you realize because over the last three years, home values in these states have increased uh, somewhere between 30, 40, and even more at some areas, which creates a huge amount of home equity. And with such value increase, there are some rising costs, obviously, like Mm -hmm. property taxes, home insurance, plus overall increase in the cost of living. But the silver lining could be leveraging home equity as one of the solutions to help offset rising costs, especially if you don't already have those U.S. dollars on hand. So if it comes down to the question of whether to sell or use the home's equity, I'm going to leverage your expertise. What are your thoughts on these options? Yes, certainly. Though I mean, a lot of Canadians, as we know, bought in U.S. properties in, in cash around 20, 2010, 12, around that, when the Canadian dollar was around or at par with the U.S. dollars. So such a value increase built built equity over time. So you got really, Canadians have two options here. The cash out by selling your U.S. property, which unfortunately, you know, has consequences such as, of course, paying capital gain taxes on both sides of the border, and obviously no more property under the sun for next uh, winter. So to get, you know, soften your strategy by done, you know, downsides like paying capital, uh, I mean, uh, having a lock, sorry, to access U.S. dollar and, and convert into Canadian dollar and take advantage of the current weaker Canadian dollar. So a HELOC is a non-taxable event, So, but I still strongly recommend or suggest to seek advice with professional financial advisor from the Canadian, you know, or a planner from Canada before making any decision on that side. So the most common way to tap into your U.S. home equity is through a HELOC. Working much like a regular line of credit, you can borrow money up and down up to the credit limit whenever you want. And when you pay it back, you, you can still borrow it again. So while interest rates uh, have risen, of course, in the HELOC over the past year, even if the rate is around 7% for a HELOC, it fluctuates. And in the interest rate, you know, it more than offset the conversion rates and fees to convert Canadian dollar to U.S. So home equity line is a highly effective and efficient and cost-effective financing options to Canadians to access U.S. funds. On the flip side, of course, to boost your Canadian cash flow, you may come out ahead on the conversion using U.S. dollar and bring back 
to Canadian dollar using this uh, USA lodge. Right. And they have uh, other advantages, the home equity line of credit, like convenience, flexible repayment options, and of course, the potential to raise your U.S. credit score. We always run out of space for this great information, Elaine, but thank you so much for sharing today. And if we want some more information, of course, we can go to rbcbank.com. And there's actually a website and a video at U.S. Home Equity Solutions for Canadians at RBC Bank. That's correct, Kathy. Thank you for having me. And as a national residential lender for Canadians, RBC Bank is here in the U.S. to help Canadians with such self-leveraged cross-border strategy. Thank you so much, Elaine. My pleasure. The biggest communication problem is that we do not listen to understand. We listen to reply. Stephen R. Covey. I hope you listen to both Julie and Laura and understand why I wanted these two savvy and smart women on the show. Thanks to both of them for helping us to understand why community and communication are so important, both personally and professionally. Well, that's it for season two of Go To Grandma. Over 300 interviews and over 3,000 minutes of content I hope you learned from and maybe laughed with. I can't wait to get into the next 52 weeks of Go To Grandma. We don't take a hiatus here. We have too much to talk about. So right away next week, we launch into season three. And of course, it's a great episode with wonderful guests. As wonderful as most of us feel about being grandparents, guess what? There are some people who have difficulty embracing and enjoying the role of grandma. Therapist and friend of the show, Allison Schaefer, is back to give us some insight on why being grandma or granddad is tough for some and how we can maneuver our way through the relationship with the kids and the grandkids in this situation. One of the toughest situations we might find ourselves in is career disruption or the loss of a job in the later years of our profession. Business leader Karen Schulman Dupuy is on the show to talk about the research she did for her master's degree, which looks at the question of this disruption for women aged 40 to 64 due to gendered ageism. How can local economic development activity support these women? I hope you join us for the first episode of season three and all the ones that follow. I'm Kathy Buckworth, your go-to grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.